The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians 1, 11 to 24. I really want to encourage you, if you don't already, to try to attend Sunday nights. And I, I don't say that just to increase our numbers or anything of that nature, but uh, sometimes on Sunday nights I continue in our series of Galatians, or sometimes I try to balance another passage that I think relates to the passage that I preached in the morning uh, to help us a little bit better. Uh, sometimes I get phone calls throughout the week. People have questions. You know, you said this in the message, and I was just wondering more about it. And a lot of times God uses that in my life to then build a message, and I usually do those on Sunday nights. And uh, God's been doing good things on Sunday nights, I think, through the messages. And I just want to encourage you, if you can, to, to be here for those. It has been a, a blessing. <clears throat> As we look at Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2, and I, I said this earlier what Paul is doing is Paul is kind of sticking up for himself a little bit here in his apostleship. And so we are going to see some repetitive things as we continue through uh, chapters one and chapters two. But in our, in our section today, Paul really begins this argument of authenticity of his apostleship, of the fact that he is an apostle, because that was being attacked. People had come in after Paul uh, to the church of Galatia and was saying, Who, who's Paul? You know, we have Peter, we have James, we have these people who are apostles in Jerusalem, and we're coming to tell you that we come from them, and this is what the gospel is, and this is what you must do to be saved. And it was contrary to what Paul had said, and they were atta attacking his credibility. And so Paul felt the need to, to let them know, no, I am authentically an apostle. And we're going to see that as we dive in there this morning. And this is important because uh, it Paul wanted it to be known that what he was saying was true, and even his integrity was all intact in this. And it's important because when we portray the gospel, when we speak the gospel, when we share the gospel, when we preach and when we teach, the person that we are does matter. It does have an impact. The life that you live, and sadly today what we're seeing is we, we see a lot of pastors fall. We see, we see a lot of pastors who are are falling short, and then what does that do? It makes you question their message all along, right? Well, if he said this, and, and now we know that he does that, and he said not to do that, what about what he says can we believe? I really think this should be a weight for all pastors out there, and it really should be a weight for all of us as we teach. I dare say it should be a weight for all of us as Christians as we faithfully try to proclaim the gospel to others to also make sure we're living the gospel. Now, I'm not saying be perfect. That's not my message in any of this because we cannot be perfect, but we should admit two faults, but we should also strive to live the life God has called us to live. We should tr strive to be holy. It says that in scripture, be holy because I am holy. We can't always just sit back on the excuse of, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, continually trying. Good for you. But the Bible says, be holy because I am holy. Are you striving to be holy? Are you actually working at it? That's just a little side message, not really the message this morning. But as we stand to teach, I think this should be something we think about, that it's not just about what we say in the hour or the half hour that we have, but really the week before does have an impact on what we teach and how we live our life. We see in scripture that God uses all kinds of people to speak his message, sinners, of all sort. And so maybe we would ask, why then would Paul feel the need to prove his message? 
If his message is true, why does he have to prove it? And again, it's different for Paul than it was for us because this was a different time. This was a different setting. This was a different place. And the apostles had a specific ministry for the church, a ministry that doesn't continue today. But we see apostles writing out scripture for us and laying out these foundations that were necessary. And so it was important for Paul to let them know, listen, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. God has ordained me to that. God has set me aside for that. And we're gonna see that this morning as we read Galatians chapter one, verse 11 through 24. So follow along with me as I read it this morning. It says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face, by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. This morning, and you'll see this is probably a common theme for me as I preach, is trying to walk through this passage together and then at the end, trying to see the truths that we can pull out uh, from this passage. As we look at verses uh, 14, I want us to notice Paul's life before Christ. We're gonna look at Paul's life before Christ, then Paul's conversion, Paul's communication and his training, and then also Paul's approval will be the way we walk through this this morning. But in verse 14, we see Paul's life before Christ kind of bragging a little bit, I guess you would say, but he's say, stating facts. He's stating who he was. He says, I was a leading Jew. I was one of the leaders in Judaism. I was a Pharisee, Paul is saying. He was trained under the tutelage of Gamaliel. I don't, that name probably doesn't mean anything to you, but I want to take you to some places in scriptures, which shows you the importance of this. In Acts 22, 3, Paul comes out and says it. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Gamaliel is the man, if you would remember in Acts chapter five, as they're talking about Christianity, as a bunch of the Jewish leaders are together and they're deciding, what are we going to do about this faith, about these people, about these Christians? There's just questions that are coming up and people are saying, you know, what? We need to destroy him. We need to do this. We need to do that. It's Gamaliel who stood up amongst them all and he spoke and he said, if this is something of God, who are we to fight it, right? If it's not of God, it's gonna die out just like the ones before, 
Just like the other guys who rose up and said that they were Messiah, they disappeared. So, so let's not touch it. Let's just see what happens. This is, this is Gamaliel. This is the guy who trained Paul. And so no doubt he was respected within the community. If he had the ability to stand up and speak and then listen to what he actually had to say, then there's no doubt that he was respected. But Paul goes on and he says, not only was I trained under the best, not only was I a leader amongst my contemporaries, but it was my desire to persecute the church of God, he says in verse 13. That was my goal. We see actually in Acts chapter eight, in Acts chapter eight, Stephen was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And you can go back and read that. And it talks about how Paul was okay with this, how Paul was even there, how they would lay clothes down at Paul's feet and he would gather them together as everybody threw the stones at Stephen and killed him. And so before his conversion, his goal was to wreak havoc on the church of God, was to destroy it, was to imprison and was to kill Christians. Later in scripture, Paul would actually call himself the chief of sinners because of his former life. Some of you maybe have a life where you would say, I, I'm a chief of sinners, right? You would say, I, I, I don't know how God has ever used me, but praise be to God, he has. There's others of you this morning that I hope you hear the background of Paul and realize that if Jesus can save Paul by his grace, then Jesus can save you by his grace as well. Because Paul was dead set to ruin everything that God had laid forth. That's what he wanted. He wanted the church to be destroyed, but yet God would save him. And we see this in verse 15. When Paul talks about his conversion, he says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. This is Paul sharing his testimony. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter nine. Keep your hand in Galatians because we're gonna stay there. But I wanna read the conversion of Paul for us this morning because it'll help us to understand more about him <clears throat> and why he says he's an apostle and why we can believe that he's an apostle. In Acts chapter nine, verse one through nine, it talks about the conversion of Paul. And so I wanna read that for us this morning. It says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of, at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drink. This is quite a story that we see here. I want you to notice though something. Paul in no way, shape or form sought out this conversion. In no way, shape or form was his testimony be, I was seeking after God and I got him. I was trying to find him and sure enough, 
I found him. Because Paul's old life, he would have said, I already knew God. It was through the law. It was through through the traditions of my fathers. And I was serving them faithfully. He was not in any way, shape, or form looking for God because he believed he already had God. What happened on that road to Damascus is he found out very quickly, Paul, you in fact do not have God. But Paul, I have you. And Paul, I've chose you. So much that Paul says in Galatians, of which I've read, Paul, I've separated you from your mother's womb. Before you were born, you were mine. You've been living contrary to that, but up to this point, now my grace is poured out on you. This was an act that obviously was foreordained before Paul's verse. And this is where Paul starts to take a stand saying, listen, I have been called by God, not by man. That's why he can claim his apostleship. It is not man who has sent me, but it is God who has sent me. And we see that in his conversion story. The Lord Jesus Christ himself reveals himself to Paul and says, Paul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Paul falls and instantly his life is transformed and instantly his life is changed all because of an act of God, of something God has done. I hope that this reminds you of the first message in Galatians, that the gospel is grace and grace alone. You cannot add to it. You cannot subtract from it. If you are to be saved by the grace of God, it must come from the grace of God, not something that you do, not something that you achieve, not something that you come up with. Because if that's the case, then you're adding to it and then it's no longer of God. As we look at verse 11 and 12 and also verse 16, Paul continues after his conversion and he talks of his commission. He, he talks of his training. You see, in order to be an apostle, one of the things that must be done is you must have been taught under the Lord, under Jesus. There, there was no other way. And so if you go to a church today and they say, you know, this is apostle so-and-so, leave. Leave the church. They're, that's not true. It's false because they haven't been taught under the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They cannot carry that anymore. And Paul is saying, I carry that. He's making it very clear. This is what happened to me. Jesus Christ himself came to me, shown himself to me, but Paul takes it a step further if you look at verse 11 and 12 again. Look at it. It says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. How can he say that? Well, look at verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul does not go away and get trained in the ministry. Paul doesn't go away after his conversion and spend time in seminary and and be ministered to and brought up under the tutelage of some other people for him to go now and, and be the Christian that he needs to be. That does not happen in the life of Paul. What happens in the life of Paul is Jesus saves him, but Jesus doesn't just save him. Jesus changes him and trains him, trains him. And so that Paul instantly knows the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit working in Paul's life. Paul is given these accounts that we then have. We see evidence of this actually in Paul's writings. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the Lord's Supper. Okay, it talks about the Lord's Supper. And Paul lays out 
all these things about the Lord's Supper. But as you get towards the end, he says, and you remember what Jesus did in the upper room. Now there's a problem with that. Paul wasn't there. Paul was not there. Now there's a second problem with that. Most conservative scholars say 1 Corinthians was written before any of the gospel accounts. So the question would be, how does Paul know this? Well, it's very easy to know. Jesus told him. He was taught and trained by Christ himself. And so one of the most beautiful written arguments for the Lord's Supper in the, in, in the explanation of how to do the Lord's Supper comes from Paul who wasn't even there. And he's kind of, what he's saying to the church is, how do I know these things? I wasn't taught by man. I was taught by Christ. He has ordained me to this ministry. He has called me to this ministry. None of the apostles, nobody else. In fact, it would be three years later until Paul would ever even see the apostles. And that's what he talks about in verse 16, all the way through verse 24. And the point that Paul is making in this, in this section of 16 through 24 is he wants them to see his, that his approval is from God, not man. He does say, yes, listen, I went to Jerusalem, but I didn't seek out the apostles. I wasn't there to get their approval. I wasn't there to get their stamp to say, okay, here you go. Now you can go. No, he says, yes, I ended up seeing Peter. And yes, I, I saw James but he was confident in the gospel that the Lord had given him. That's why if, if you look at verse 10, we didn't read that this morning. We, we went over that a couple Sunday nights ago. But this, this comes off of verse 10, where Paul would say, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You see, Paul, Paul doesn't care what you think about him. Man, I wish I could be more like that. I don't know about you. Maybe some of you are too much like that and you need to change, but too often I wonder what will people think? You know, what's somebody else going to think? And to be honest, if I'm very honest, sometimes it, it causes me to shun away from things I should be doing. You know, how many times in your life have you felt God egg, egging you on saying, share the truth with them here. Tell them who I am. But you think, yeah, but... They're busy. We're in line here. They're, they didn't come here for that. Ah, this is a family gathering. I'm not trying to start a fight. We worry about what other people are going to think instead of saying, no, this is the truth of God's word and I need to be true to it. Paul says, I'm not in this for accolades. I'm not in this for public approval. I've been called by God to preach God's gospel to the Gentiles to reach out to them, to share with them the good news. I think it's interesting that Paul was called to the Gentiles. Have you ever thought about that? If I was Paul's mentor and he came and he's like, ah, man, I've just been saved. I would say, you know what? You are the perfect person to go share the gospel with Jewish people. You know everything about them. You, you will know exactly how to debate them. You'll know exactly how to talk to them. Paul, we, man, God did this for such a purpose. You are meant to go to the Jews. I mean, that's what I would say to them, say to them. But God says, no, I'm, I actually, you're going to the Gentiles, the people you hated, the people you despised, the people that you thought had no chance to have a relationship with me. 
Paul, you're gonna be the one who shares the gospel with them. <laughs> what an interesting turnaround God does there. Well, I want us to see something in this passage and it's really only one thing for us this morning. And I want, to, I want us to compare the best we can this morning, the gospel of I versus the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of I versus the gospel of Jesus. When Paul was called out by Jesus, we see that there was just a dramatic change in his life, in everything that he did. And it was a quick change. I mean, a whole trajectory in life just, just flipped on itself getting ready to head to Damascus to imprison Christians, to now being walked into Damascus, seeking out Christians and ministering to the, to the Gentiles there. I mean, just a dramatic change that took place in his life. And we have to ask, why is this? Why this change? Why all of a sudden this turnaround? Isn't, isn't the gospel free? Isn't it something that I don't owe anything to, right? It doesn't require anything of me. That's what you're saying. It's, it's grace that saves us. Yes, I'm saying it's by grace that you will be saved. But I'm also saying this. When you are saved by the grace of God, you are changed by the grace of God. God doesn't save you just to stamp you and say, heaven now, keep doing what you wanna do. Oh, keep sinning so that grace can abound. no. It's saying, I've saved you for a purpose and you are going to be changed. And so we have to understand that balance this morning. Say, yes, God will save you by his grace and it's not anything that you have to do. But when he saves you by his grace, you start to realize that the only thing you can do is serve him. The only thing you can do is worship him with everything that you have. And that is why the gospel of I then has to be replaced with the worship of God in our life. This is a battle that we all battle. I think we battle it daily. I know I do. This gospel of Tim that I so often get trapped in. There's a book that I'm reading as I'm going through Galatians. And I wanna, I wanna share with you uh, some of the things this book says concerning the gospel of I. It's six warnings concerning this way of life by a pastor, his name's Josh Moody. But we start to realize that the gospel of I is everywhere. And Paul even says this, look at, look at when he talks about his old life in verse 13 and verse 14. I was the best. I had the best teacher. I had the world's greatest father, right? Like I talked about earlier. The gospel of I was very evident in Paul's life, but then it changed. And so six warnings with this or six observations with the gospel of I, and then we'll be done this morning. First is this, the gospel of I is a way of life. We become more concerned with the external than the internal. So it's on our mind more than anything else. We're more concerned with doing good than actually being good. You catch the difference? The best way that I can think about explaining it is when it comes to trying to lose weight or work out. There's a big difference between trying to lose weight or work out or be healthy because you feel the need to be healthy. That even God would tell us to take care of our bodies and to, you know, and to treat them right. 
verse, I want everybody to think I look good. And that's usually what creeps in. At least that's what I find out. When, when you look at the motivation for people, well, you know, why are you working out? <laughs> I'm going on vacation. I'm gonna wear a bathing suit. I need to look better. That's the gospel of I, okay? That's a good, that's a good definition of the gospel of I, okay? And so when we start to think more about this outside more than the inside, saying, you know, God, why do I go to church? Why did I walk in this building this morning? Was it so that I can be healed on the inside, so I can worship you? Because that's what, you've saved me by your grace. I, I want to worship you with other believers. Or is it, well, if I'm not there, so-and-so is going to notice. They're going to call me. My dad's going to be mad at me. Whatever the case might be. You see, the gospel of I becomes a way of life for us. Secondly, the gospel of I has a nationalistic interpretation of the Bible. I want to explain this. When the gospel becomes about I and not about he, all of a sudden, the way we read scripture changes. The way we view God changes. All of a sudden, God becomes, Jesus becomes white and American. And that's what the pictures look like. All of a sudden, Jesus looks like me in the pictures, which he shouldn't look like me. Blonde hair, blue eyes, not Jesus, right? He's Middle Eastern, not this. And it slowly creeps in. And so what we start to think is we start to think, okay, Jesus is like me, therefore Jesus must want the things I want. And so our prayers start to be, God, please bring peace to our nation. Instead of, God, please pour out your peace on people. Save the lost. Help the church to be the church that it's supposed to be. We start to get selfish in it and it becomes nationalistic. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but almost all totalitarian regimes start with religion. Almost all of them. That's how they get the, the whole crowd to start listening to them. And slowly but surely, they start to twist it. This is, this is the answer to the question of how in the world could people in Germany really think they should kill every single Jewish person? Do you know how? The gospel of I. That's where it starts. So we have to be careful with that. Third thing, the gospel of I is opposed to the church of God. This is where Paul found himself before he was saved. You see, the reason for this is this today. It's the church of God is a commitment of willing to submit to one another. And the gospel of I says, well, you can submit to me, but I'm not submitting to you. I won't do weddings anymore when the woman says, hey, when we do our vows, just get rid of the submit thing. Nope, I'm not doing that because that's what scripture tells us. We submit to each other. And if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with the gospel and just go to the courthouse and get married because this means nothing to you then. It means nothing. Church membership, partnering together becomes a problem for people because, well, what about me? 
I want my say. I want my right to this. I want my right to that. That starts coming from the gospel of I. And so then that's when you get people who say, I'll just stay at home and read my Bible or watch TV. The fourth thing, the gospel of I is competitive. Paul says, I was the best Jew. Maybe he was. I doubt it. But in Paul's mind, he was. He absolutely thought he was the best Jew around. When we start living this lie of the gospel of I, we start to wonder within the church, who is the best theologian among us? Who really does know the most? As pastors, we ask questions. Who here has the biggest church? Which church has the best pastor? Et cetera, et cetera. We start to wonder, what do others think instead of what is God thinking about our situation? We have to be careful with this because we're a numbers-based people. We're a list-based people. And so it's easy for us to go there. I don't, I don't know how you feel. I, this is something that I struggle with greatly all the time. Lost in rabbit holes of, hey, I wonder what this church is doing. And you start reading about it and you're like, oh my gosh, they baptized 40 people last Sunday. Our church is useless. We don't have God's blessing on us. They do, obviously. We don't. That's a gospel of I mentality. Instead of saying, God, are you pleased with what we're doing here? Are we being faithful to your word and to your call? The gospel of I becomes competitive. Next, fifth. The gospel of I is zeal without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. Zeal is a good thing. I wish I had more zeal. I, I struggle with emotions in general. I'm just pretty plain, just go. And my wife is too. It's really bad. I mean, you probably think we hate each other if you came out to dinner. Not because we're mad at each other or fighting. We're just both look normal, like whatever, you know? I mean, zeal is a struggle for me. But have you ever noticed new Christians who are just so zealous and you're like, man, they are on fire for the Lord and what he has done in their life. And have you ever noticed how so often that just fades away? Or how it, it turns into a scary direction where all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that's not what we're about here. I know you're excited, but that's not our purpose here. That's not our goal here. Where does that come from? It, it's zeal without knowledge. It's zeal without knowledge. This is where burnout comes. You get someone, I, I want to teach so bad. Okay, let's get you a class. And they start teaching. And the next thing you know, a year goes by and they're, I'm ready to quit teaching. Well, why? Well, I just got seven people in class and I don't know, they don't seem that excited and they're not excited anymore teaching and it's just all kind of faded away. And you wonder, well, why were you doing it in the first place? Well, I was just excited. Zeal without knowledge. That's why discipleship is so important. You've got to know why you're excited about what you're seeing. This is one of the reasons I hate watching sports with people who know nothing about sports, right? Oh, they get all excited and you're like, why are you so excited? Something happened. What happened? I don't know. 
but everybody else is pumped about it. Okay, <laughs> you know that. Yeah, never mind. <clears throat> but listen, it's the same way in the church. But in the church, it's more heartbreaking because it's so often that zeal, if not maintained, not contained to be pointed in the right direction, can lead to some really scary offshoots and directions that are not healthy. And so, yes, we need zeal, but we also need that knowledge. The comparison that he gave in the book, and I think it's a good one, zeal without knowledge is, is what blows up buildings, what blows up abortion clinics. It's what starts wars. It's what causes Twitter fights. It's what never puts grace into a situation, but just wants to put gasoline on a situation. Oh man, I have a thought in this. Fire. You rarely see love in it. So we gotta be careful with that. The last thing, the gospel of I is tradition overwriting the word. It's known by one statement and you've heard it millions of times, but we still suffer from it. This is how we've always done it. This is how it's always been done. And we slowly turn our traditions into gospel. And when it's not done that way, well, then you don't believe the Bible. And I love when people say that because it's a quick reminder to me, obviously you don't read your Bible because <laughs> it's not in there. You're lost in tradition. I don't know if I've said this before, but I remember for me where this hit me the most, like a realization, like, man, this is real in my life was with the Lord's Supper. When I went to a church and I had to do the Lord's Supper for the church and hand the stuff out. And I was like, wait a second, we don't have the same setup here as MMBC. This cannot be being done correctly. Wait, 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 we don't, we don't have eight guys. There's this many sections. We can't do it then. And I remember thinking, does the Bible really say how to do it? Let's look and see. And what I found is, man, there's a lot of room to do the Lord's Supper. Did you know that? Did you know you don't have to be handed somebody the Lord's Supper tray who has a tie on? Did you know that? I didn't think it worked unless you had a suit coat on. When I was a deacon here, deacons drove me crazy. They'd say, all right, we're gonna get here at five o'clock and get the Lord's Supper stuff ready. I'd get here at 4.55. Guess what? It was all done because all the old people came way earlier than they were supposed to. I'm serious. That's how it happened every time. So I'm like, well, this is how it should be. This is how it should be done. You see, I got lost in the tradition and not what the purpose and point of the Lord's Supper is. It became a ritual in my life. You must do A, B, C, and D, and then you will succeed. You must sing Amazing Grace at the end of it because that's what Jesus sang. Right? I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll really see how much we struggle with the gospel of I. God's grace frees us from ourself. That's what it does. You say, how can I be changed by the gospel? What will it change? It will free you from yourself. You will no longer be Lord of your life. Instead, you will have the perfect Lord of your life. The one who knows all things. 
the one who is sovereign, the one who knows your future, who knows your past and yet still accepts you and has a task for you and a job for you and a plan for you. The gospel of grace frees us from the gospel of I. And it's something that we all desperately need and it's what we desperately need to hear. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, it says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you're here today and you've been saved by God's grace and you know it, this is what you do. When I speak, God, it's for your glory. God, when I serve in whatever capacity, at work, my family, the church, whatever it may be, God, help me do it to the best of my abilities for you, not me. And that all becomes from the understanding that God, because God, where I'm at in life is not because of Tim, but it's because of Jesus. Because I didn't seek you out. I didn't find you. God, you found me. God, you saved me by your grace. You poured this gift out on me. And now the least that I can do is lay down my life for you every day. And oftentimes the hardest way to lay down our life isn't by dying. It's by every day saying, I lay this down, I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. And so every day, over and over again, now don't you get annoyed with songs that you repeat over and over again? Lay me down, lay me down, lay me down. But honestly, that needs to be our heart cry every week. Lord, lay me down. I'm trying to stand up again. God, lay me down again. Because I can't do this. Can only do it through you and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to give up the gospel of I? Some of you maybe for the first time. You fight this fight. You continue to try to succeed. You continue to try to improve with your life. You continue to try to work on your image, but you know that inside you are a disaster. That nothing is going well. God can heal that. God can change that. God wants to change that by his grace in your life. It says by faith, you can be saved through grace even this morning. But how about you, Christian? How often do you grab that gospel of I back up? Would you be willing to stop doing that this morning? Would you be willing this week to repeatedly say, I lay myself down. I'm not my own. God, I do belong to you alone. And to serve him faithfully, basting in the gospel of grace, not the gospel of I. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. God, I'm so thankful that you have saved me from myself. But God, yet so often, I continue to turn to myself. God, this week's been a hard week for me as I've studied this because I realize the selfishness in my life just continually brought to my attention over and over again. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you helped me to see that. God, I ask that you would help me to be willing to say each and every day, God, I lay this life down for you.
to glorify you because of what you've done for me. But God, I'm reminded and I'm so thankful that even though at times I continually pick up that gospel of I, you never let me go. God, that no matter what I do, you, you do not let me go because salvation is not of me, it's of you. And I cannot overdo something that you have done. And so God, I rest in that. I find my peace in that. God, I pray that others would this morning as well, that they would be able, be able to rest in that place, that it's, it's a salvation of grace, which is a free gift from you. Nothing we do. So God, I pray that we would hold to that and that we would strive to serve you with everything we have. God, that we would share with other people the good news, that we would lay down our time, lay down our finance, lay down whatever it is to honor you with everything we have. God, this morning, help us to continue to worship you as we sing this song. Help us to respond to your word how we need to. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.